ABC because tonight begins a new program. 93 WIBC. It is the Kendall and Casey show. I'm Rob. Casey's out today. Abdul's in for Casey. Let's go to the WIBC hotline. Joined by Tony Kennett. And now, Tony, we no longer have to say you're just with the Daily Signal. We can say you're the host of the Tony Kennett cast, which begins tonight, 7 o'clock here on WIBC. Congratulations, my friend. Thank you very much. I'm really, really excited. I, I happen to like you guys, and if that's not the biggest red flag, I don't know what is. Well, we're excited for you tonight. We'll get into more of the Tony Kittacast here in just a moment. But first, big day tomorrow. We've talked about it all throughout the show today. It is elections in central Indiana, and we talked with Micah Beckwith earlier about this. I just find these choices, whether it's the mayor of Indianapolis or the mayor of Carmel, there's just like no choices out there where I go, wow, what a barn burner of a candidate or candidates we've got out this year. No, I'm just kind of depressed about the entire thing. This election is the aren't you glad you don't live in Indianapolis election for guys like me who do not live in Indianapolis. I mean, you have Jefferson Shreve, who uh, is a candidate, I guess. That's that's his entire qualification. And then you have Hogsett, who's ruined Indianapolis. And Shreve is doing his best to just be Hogsett, which is an incredible election strategy. Carmel, Sue Finkham sucks. Um, and uh, Miles for Carmel, he's somehow worse. Sue Finkham doesn't know what a conservative or a Republican is, yet she's somehow running. And uh, Miles thinks that the KKK is still running around Carmel, Indiana. So, I mean, we're just living in the most insane of, of timelines and everyone's getting dumber by the second. Yeah, we talked with Beckwith about this earlier. We're just, it's like there's no big ideas. And he kind of said, well, look, there are big ideas, but they're really big ideas for the Democrats. This idea that the Republican Party is running on tax cuts and government reform, and I mean, at a local level, it's it's done so. I mean, like, they, there are no big ideas on limited government or smaller government or less expensive government on the Republican Party side in central Indiana. Well, this is the best part, because Holcomb basically proved why this strategy is complete and utter garbage in the last couple of years, where you know we're going to cut taxes and we're going to make Indiana a better place to live. And shocker, Indiana is the same place to live. It's not better. It's not worse. It's just the same. And that's the economic strategy of these establishment Republicans, because they believe that what they just need to do is kind of maintain the status quo. And I don't know about you, but there is a very common principle that if you are not moving forward, you are moving backward. And that is the current state of Indiana, because Republicans have not had a new idea since 92. And again, the person who told me this is former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich. Literally, he told me his very model that the Indiana Republicans are using is outdated it is dying and if republicans keep trying this crap they're going to start losing elections in places that were previously safe write it down yeah tony kennett our guest uh tony kennett cast begins tonight seven o'clock on wibc by the way what what's you got a big guest tonight what are we doing tonight on the tony kennett cast debut episode Oh, one of the best journalists that I think in the country, Greg Price, is going to hop on. We're going to kind of parse election night shenanigans coming up. It's a really big night coming up for Virginia that's going to have some pretty big impacts on states like Indiana. Holcomb kind of awkwardly takes some directions from people like Glenn Youngkin when it comes to cultural policy. You saw him change kind of his stance after Youngkin made some moves. So we're going to see that in the uh, uh, Virginia legislature. Talk about that. Also, goodness gracious, we have to talk 
about this insane conspiracy theory nonsense about Speaker Mike Johnson and the fact that he's an evangelical has everyone terrified like they've never heard of a Baptist before. And uh, I, I, we, we have to dig into it. I'm so tired of it. I'm about to start ripping people a new one. You know, I, I got to say, I got to give the Republicans some credit. They're not cutting any spending, but at least like with the aid to Israel, um, they're saying, well, we're going to take it from somewhere else, and this is the funding for the IRS. So at least now, maybe, unlike with McCarthy, where it's just a magical money printing factory, at least they're paying for some stuff. Exactly. And again, what a better play. You know, you couldn't have asked for a better agency to take it from. I said, just to see the IRS, which was has been using their political power to go after Republicans, to go after Christians, to go after pro-lifers in the last couple of years, to see the new Speaker Johnson kind of go after them and say, look, you know, we're going to fund our the, basically the only ally the United States should be working with. And we're going to do so by taking money from the IRS. It just puts a smile on my face. Separating the funding from Ukraine is just icing on the top. Tony Kennett cast begins tonight, 7 o'clock on WIBC. All right, uh, let's turn our uh, attention back here locally. Mike Braun got really screwed. And look, obviously, everybody was very sad at the death of Bobby Knight and the tributes have poured out, continue to pour out. But he died like an hour. It was announced he had died like an hour after Braun got the Donald Trump endorsement. Terrible timing for Mike Braun. I mean, it is, but I, I would argue that, that Braun endorsing Trump did more for him than Trump endorsing Braun. I mean, it's, it's kind of a very weird favor system that kind of works as far as the, the Trump campaign is concerned these days. It's you endorse Trump. He endorses you. I mean, we get it. Braun is the Trump candidate. Okay. Like no one was shocked by that. I mean, at least no one that I know was shocked by that. Braun's been basically foregoing a campaign just to say that he's Trump's guy. You know, you've got Suzanne Crouch running around saying very weird, random things. And then you've got, what's that other guy? That uh, that Chamber of Commerce guy, Brad Chambers. Yes. That's right. I couldn't remember who he was for a second. Um, he just texts everybody. <laughs> yes, so, he does. That's I mean, really, if, if Curtis Hill and Eric Doden want to win this election, it's still wide open. But you actually have to, you know, do things to attack Braun, who, yeah, I mean, sure, it's good that he has Trump's endorsement, I guess. I, I guarantee you Trump has said his name maybe once in his entire Did, life. Well, okay, so that was my question to you, Tony, is does the well, – let's – two-part question. One, does the Trump endorsement matter to you? And two, how much do you think it helps Braun in Indiana? No, Trump endorsement doesn't matter to me. He endorsed Oz against Fetterman. Good point, good point. Yeah, it's a good point. I, I just don't – it doesn't – the Trump endorsement to me is like like slapping a brand-new low price on a great value product at Walmart. okay. I mean, it may be a decent product, but like it, it's it's not a decent product because Trump says it's a good product. Trump sucks at picking people. Yeah, Trump has a lot of great traits. Picking people is not one of them. That's a great point. I give you his entire cabinet yeah, in the first administration. That's a great point. Okay, but does it help Braun at all, or is is it kind of already assumed Braun's a Trump guy? Uh, uh, I mean. I don't know. Maybe there's some like culture warrior in northern central Indiana who was kind of pulling for Hill, but they have 547 Trump flags in their yard. And they're like, well, if Trump says we got to go with Braun, I guess we got that's like, what, three voters in Indiana. OK, OK, that's not fair. Yeah. 15 voters, if you include New Albany. But like. I'm not really seeing it making that big of an impact. I, Tony, and I'll get you out of here with this. I want to like Curtis Hill because I think it would make Holcomb the most mad and the Holcomb people the most mad if he got in there. But he's got to give me something. And thus far, I haven't seen anything big or bold uh, on anything economical so far. Any tax, property taxes, nothing. He's got to give me something. 
Right, and I'm just not seeing it. Yeah, I mean, and it's crazy because we know that like their people listen, all the all the people's people listen, and it's like just do it, just come up with something. Even if you don't believe it, just say I'm gonna f- f- do something with property taxes. I, I have told campaigns, several campaigns are currently talking to me. I've told them multiple times, attack Braun, attack Crouch. That's yeah. all you got to do. You want you want to win? You just do that, and they won't do it. They are too afraid to win yeah br- to God. And, and and braun has the issue he's handing you the issue which is he voted for that gas tax which is so egregious and people won't do it i don't understand it you know these people why it's the lowest bar it's just like the indianapolis race all you gotta do is not be dumb and i swear they can't do it i've seen some of these rallies where we have to get back to good economic footing you're in indiana we've had the exact same economic footing for 55 years yeah yeah. What are, what are you campaigning for? The past? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, uh, look, I'm super excited for you, man. You're a great dude. You've been great to this show, and we're excited for the Tony. It is the Tony Kennett cast, right? Yeah, that's what they're calling it. Okay, perfect. Uh, how long do you go before they think they're going to change that name? Uh, it'll depend on uh, if I can sell any Rob Kendall t-shirts with uh, with that show name. Uh, Tony Kennett cast tonight, 7 o'clock. Best of luck, my friend. We're all very excited for you. Thanks, dude. You guys take care. 93 WIBC. It's a Kendall and Casey show. He took in the 4 a.m. show at the Clark. Excitable boy, they all said. So there was another meeting at the Indiana State House on potentially legalizing cannabis. Did it get anywhere? Let's find out for a guy who was there, and he joins us now on the WIBC hotline. His name is Justin Swanson. He is the cannabis practice chair for Bose, McKinney, and Evans. All right, Swanson, it seems like we talk and talk and talk about cannabis reform. There was another meeting at the State House. Do you feel it got anywhere? Um, so we didn't have official action taken on it, but I do, uh, again, think every time we have kind of deliberate discussions about responsible cannabis reform in Indiana, we do uh, move the ball a little bit further, uh, but I'm sure not at the pace that uh, a lot of the supporters um, uh, would like at the end of the day. But overall, I think a really good discussion, and I think the committee learned um, some objective facts on some of the, I think, talking points from, uh, from the prohibitionists that, that don't seem to add up. Okay, so this was last week at the Indiana State House. A lot of the power players were there. They took testimony. I think you you spoke, correct? That's right. And what what are we waiting on at this point? I mean, at this point, we, there's only 12 states in the union who don't have some form of legalization, medical or recreational. What what uh, what other info do they need? So I think that this uh, committee specifically focused on um, the impact on uh, inappropriate youth consumption and. Uh, really employers. Um, and I think no matter where anybody is on the issue, whether you support it or oppose it, uh, I think everybody agrees that we don't want uh, to encourage or allow inappropriate youth consumption of cannabis. So that's our starting point. Uh, and we saw data uh, really from both sides showing it either, uh, you know, decreased youth consumption or it stayed the same. Uh, the prohibitionists argue it skyrockets. Um, and really my main point at the hearing was, look, you know, it's time to end the, the, the war of the studies and paralysis by analysis and just look at the objective fact, Rob, like you stated. We're one of 12 states that haven't moved forward on this yet. 
And if any of these stats were true that the prohibitionists are throwing out there, then you would see some backwards movement on reform efforts in other states that have that have done it. Justin Swanson, our guest, he is the cannabis practice chair at Bose McKinney and Evans. We're talking about the big hearing last week at the Indiana State House about uh, potentially finally moving forward on cannabis reform. How big of an obstacle does Holcomb remain on this? Because he is dug in on, I'm not doing anything until the feds do something. And the legislature is very often subservient to him. Is that still the case? So, you know, I think there's been, again, very subtle shifts in in some of the public comments coming from Governor Holcomb. Um, I think uh, maybe it was last year before session, he acknowledged that, uh, you know, he doesn't agree that, uh, uh, you know, we should be ruining kids' lives over simple marijuana possession especially those that don't necessarily have the time or resources to uh, navigate the legal uh, system um, successfully. So, you know, in my mind, that kind of hinted to the legislature that, you know, he wouldn't stand in the way of decriminalization uh, as a starting point. Um, but look, the reality coming in in 2025. So, um, you know, I think a lot of people are starting to look at, at that date as, uh, as, as a major movement. Do you believe there's going to be any ch- – is there any chance that this 2024 session – you just mentioned 2025, new governor. Do you believe there's any chance we might get something this year, or is it just, hey, this is a two-year plan? So that, that's a great question, and part of my testimony focused on the fact that you can go – right now in Indiana, you can be, let's say, a 14-year-old. You can go to a retail shop here in Indiana – and buy a Delta 9 gummy, uh, which is, you know, the exact same thing that can go across state lines and buy at a dispensary, except we don't have any age restrictions on it or other quality control standards in place. Um, and that's really referring to the, our hemp market. Um, and so that was part of my testimony was to say, look, you know, we have a market here that, that the industry is asking for additional regulations because uh, we're kind of tired. They're tired of competing against people cutting corners and putting out bad products. So I do think there's a legitimate chance in 2024 uh, to put proper regulations around our, our hemp market, which, you know, I, I testified uh, that, you know, currently the state's pulling in about $44 million a year in sales tax off of right now. Justin Swanson, our guest, he's the cannabis practice chair at Bose McKinney and Evans, talking about that big hearing last week at the Indiana State House on cannabis reform. And look, it's always a doomsday scenario, right? Oh, you can't sell alcohol on Sunday. Everybody will turn into a, uh, you know, a booze hound. Uh, you can't have sports betting. Everybody will turn into a degenerate gambler. I mean, these things, they, they just don't come true. Yeah, that's right. And that's my point of saying, you know, no states have gone backward once they've they've moved forward with cannabis reform. And, you know, Chief Pelf with the White River Fire Township, um, you know, he uh, worked with uh, one of my clients, 3 Chi, to update his drug testing policies to give his employees a choice on the wellness market where they can actually consume full spectrum CBD products, Delta 8 products. Um, and he has seen great results uh, in terms of morale and, and overall wellness of his employees. So, you know, this idea that we don't have a cannabis market in Indiana today is, I think, a misnomer. And, uh, you know, I think the committee really learned a lot about the fact that we need additional regulations on our hemp market, which then can expand into the rest of the marketplace when the state's ready. You're paid to be very nice and patient with people, and you have a talent that I don't have, and that's why you're making the big bucks and I'm working here. Um, do you ever in these hearings want to just go like full Tom Cruise and a few good men on these these people? I mean, how hard is it because you've been at this for so long? Well, it, you know, it does. It takes patience, and I've said uh, multiple times, right, we've learned to redefine success on this specific issue. Um, but I will say the more and more we have conversations about uh, moving forward as a state on this, I, I think, you know, the opponents now look like the, the supporters did five years ago where you're kind of coming in, throwing, you know, 
cherry picking data, throwing it, throwing everything against the wall to see what, what will stick. Um, and, and really, I think more and more, uh, as more and more time goes by, uh, we get new legislators in place. And uh, more importantly, I think voters are getting more and more vocal about uh, demanding, uh, you know, choice on the wellness marketplace. So, you know, it does take time and legislative process designed to be slow moving, but I do think we're making progress. All right, Justin Swanson of Bose, McKinney and Evans, thanks uh, for your time. Thanks for your effort on the issue. And let's hope we get something for people who really need it. A lot of people need help out there, and this would be a great way to uh, to do that. You're the best. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, thanks, Rob. 93 WIBC, it's Kendall and Casey Show. Like the north wind whistling down the sky. I've got a song. Strong stuff right there. Is Jim Croce? Yes! Bad, badly wear brown Jim Croce. Don't mess around with Slim. That's him. You know, Jim Croce has one of the most underrated Christmas songs that you will never hear on the radio. And it is called... uh, 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 Don't send it to my Christmas tree with anybody else but me. What's it called? It, does, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be that way. That's the name of it. Yes, it doesn't have to be that way. It's a, it's a Jim Croce. Now, it's set. It's a love song, but as Cro- most Jim Croce songs are, but it's set at Christmas time, and you almost never hear it played on the radio, and I have no idea why. But it doesn't have to be that way. Is the name of the song, and everyone should just at noon because we don't care what you do after we're off the air. It's during cats' time. We don't care. But go out and listen to it. Why do I get the I'm strange? I'm just kidding, Tony. I'm just kidding. Why do I get the strange feeling that when you're home alone with your, when your wife and daughter are out doing something, you know, productive yeah. mother daughter time, mm-hmm. you you sit down, you drive to Danville, Illinois, bring back some stuff, and then <laughs> eat your stuff, and then just listen to your Jim Croce and Bob Dylan all day long. Kevin and I have had this conversation many, many, many times, and that is Abdul. That most men are totally missing out on just a just a blank. Just, just there's like a whole world out there. You know how they used to think that when Columbus sailed the ocean blue, he was going to fall off the earth, right? Yeah. There was a whole new world out there that they had no idea, and it just took one person. In this case, he made a wrong turn, but it just took one guy <laughs> to make a wrong turn, and he found it. And there were all these riches and all these spoils waiting on this beautiful piece of property. So what you say is, when you get to exit two twenty, you make a right turn, and then you go to the go to the Sunnyside Dispensary property. No, what I'm saying <laughs> is, so many men refuse to embrace this very sentimental music that women love and it is the way it is an insight into the way women think and if you want to outkick your coverage and be more successful than you ever dreamed of with women just start stealing lines from these guys songs yeah the, the people your age don't know who they are anyway you could you could make the case that guys like uh Croce and uh, fogelberg they really laid the groundwork for men yeah, no, absolutely, Kevin. 100% agree. And th- these women your age, these 25 to 30-year-old chicks, they have no idea who Dan Fogelberg is. They have no idea who Jackson Brown is. They've never listened to a Jim Croce song. So what you're saying is the next time I see my wife, I just throw in the line, hey, honey, you can do it, put your back into it, and then let's see what happens from there, right? <laughs> I think they're a little more <laughs> sentimental than that, Abdul. I'm just saying that it's out there, and thank you, Kev, for the Jim Croce. All right. Um, I'm down with OPP. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we went about dating a little differently. <laughs> yes, we did. Um, okay, so Andrew Cuomo, you remember him? Yes. He was the he was the governor of New York, and then he quit, right? He was in some sort of scandal, something. As It just seems like one governor after another in New York ends up in a scandal of some... It's like where you're from, Illinois. It just seems like one after another. Yeah. They're, they're there, and then they're, <laughs> and then they're not. Um, he was on... 
forget what show this was. It doesn't even matter. He was on one of these talk shows. Maybe it was Marr. I think it was Bill Marr that he was on with. And he was talking about the defund the police movement and listen to the revisionist history with this guy who was at one point, remember at one point, he was the most high profile Democrat in the country. And he was like the guy that everybody during COVID, which was the height of the defund the police stuff. Everybody was like, he, he would be a great president. Too bad it's uh, Biden and not him. You remember all that? Yep. Yeah. Listen to this revisionist bull crap. We have a real crime problem in this nation. Well, after George Floyd, everybody hates police. Yes, you need better police and better trained police. But defund the police were the three dumbest words ever uttered by the Democratic Party. Uh, point of parliamentary procedure here. <laughs> Defund the police was a legitimate campaign slogan amongst people in the Democrat Party. Four years ago, back in 2019, I was I was it was it was moving in Seattle, uh, Atlanta, I want to say Washington D.C. And, and, and Minnesota, yeah, and Minneapolis, a couple other places. Remember old Chaz Chop? And, and all the defund the police people got their clocks clean. Yes, and for this guy to be like, oh boy, that was really. I guess I missed him being on the front lines of the pro police movement there in New York during 2020. I'm trying to remember where was was he there? Was he? Uh, no, he wasn't. I'm sorry, I don't remember him there because I didn't see him there. Uh, well, he was still governor in 2020. What year did he get? It was 2021, I think that he. Yeah, got... but, yeah, but I don't ever recall him coming out publicly. No, 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 against... no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. No, good, none of them did. None of them did. And now these guys like this, when, when they're not there anymore, well, that was really stupid of everyone. And yet they won a whole bunch of elections. Well, no blank, Sherlock. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for that. Anyway, um, just thought that it'd be nice to take a stroll down memory lane. Abdul, have you been... Uh, have you been following this uh, thing that happened over the weekend at the at the Capitol? Now, I'm not going to use the word insurrection, but by the standard set forth by our Democrat friends, uh, it certainly seemed like an insurrection was taking place. Oh, yeah, the place. pro-Palestinian group that tried to like climb the White House, yes! the White House fence. Like, yes. you, like you guys, it's not going to happen. Shaking and trying to scale the walls. And I mean, I'm just saying, look, if it's if it works, if it's insurrection for one, doesn't it have to be insurrection for everyone. Yes and no. So my nice lawyer, yeah. There, there were yes, very good of you. There were literally they estimated a hundred thousand pro Hamas protesters, and they converged on the White House. They were, as we said, scaling the gates. There were many people chanting "F Joe Biden," saying Israel doesn't have the right to exist, and uh, Biden has a big problem here, doesn't he? Because these people, up until now, were kind of the base of the Democrat Party. Uh, yes, they are, and and the thing is, like like I've said before, a million, a million times, I mentioned this earlier uh, in the program today. Part of the problem is a lot of these uh, a lot of these folks, particularly <clears throat> particularly younger people, have no historical perspective whatsoever of the of the Holocaust. You know, back in the, the late nineteen twenties, early nineteen thirties, or, or before that. Uh, how folks of the Jewish faith have been treated, particularly in Europe and Eastern Europe, over the past 6,000 friggin' years. So this dude, his name, what's his name? John Finer is his name. He's a deputy NSA advisor, and he was on one of the weekend talk shows. And boy, I bet he got in big old trouble for this. He admits that there are anti-Israel views all over the left, including in Biden's own administration. 
Uh, look, we, we strongly disagree uh, with, with some of that messaging and with some of the terms used to describe this conflict. But what I will say uh, is we know that this is a conflict about which there are strong views uh, on all sides, including in the United States, including, uh, frankly, even uh, within the United States, uh, uh, the Biden administration about uh, uh, the conduct of this conflict. Oops. I mean, he just admitted right there, there are people in the Biden administration who agree with these lunatics. We're not talking about fringe people. We've already seen that there are members of Congress, the squad people. But in this case, he's saying, oh, yeah, there's people in the White House who agree with this stuff. Yeah, which, 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 which would not surprise me. Because if you've got an administration like, full of thousands of people, and not just the people in the White House, but also you know, cabinet agencies, you're probably going to come across some anti-Israeli sentiment whatsoever. With that said, though, if you're not making the... If, if I'm the president, I'm making the policy, I'm going to make it abundantly clear, like, look, guys, this is America. You're entitled to your opinion. However, this is the official administration of our policy toward, it, toward, toward Israel, period. Isn't it interesting, too? And you see this happen on the right. You usually don't see it happen on the left. The Democrats are usually pretty good about coalescing around whoever the person in charge is, or you have a group of absolutists who are not who are fed up or not willing to work with or whatever. And it, 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 we just kind Rakita. Well, we kind of <laughs> saw it here in the speaker thing, where people said we've had enough, and you're out of here. And it ended up, I think, working out pretty good for the Republicans in the end. I think they got a better speaker. But this rarely happens on the left. But I think you're seeing it here in Biden's approval rating, and you're seeing it amongst Democrats, where these hard leftists, especially uh, the, these Israel doesn't have the right to exist people, are making major headaches for him. Yes, they are. And the thing is. Uh, I, like I said, understand this American. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. That's fine. However, you better get your people under control real quick because 2004 will be here before you know it. Yeah. Uh, so more from this guy, Finer, uh, who's an advisor with the with the NSA, deputy advisor with the NSA. Um, he had said, and I'm very, again, surprised he said this out loud. He said, we continue to negotiate with Hamas. And where do we stand with the negotiations to get hostages freed by Hamas? Those negotiations are going on quietly uh, behind the scenes. They have taken longer than any of us uh, would like, but we continue to believe that there is the possibility of getting a significant number of these hostages uh, released. And you've heard uh, both President Biden and the Prime Minister of Israel say uh, that there could be a pause uh, in the fighting to enable that the way there was uh, when two American hostages were released very early uh, in the conflict. And we're going to continue to work on that as well. Okay, so it's one thing to negotiate with governments. It's another thing to negotiate with terrorists, isn't it? And yes. these And these people are terrorists. It, it, is, it is one thing. I, I'm always been a firm believer we don't negotiate with terrorists. Because when you negotiate with them, all you do is just basically yeah. give in. The, the trick is, though, with Hamas basically being the government, uh, unfortunately, they, they are the government. Yeah. So, unfortunately, you're going to have to do some type of negotiation. But, I'm, uh, but actually, I've never been a big Netanyahu fan. But I will give the Israelis credit for this one. It's like, we are not negotiating until you let all these hostages go. Period. Like period. End of like, story. Like, yep. Brilliant. All right. One more clip. Uh, again, John. I think John Finer is the guy's name. He's a deputy advisor with the NSA. He says that the Republicans should not tie Israeli aid to cut to funding cuts other places. And I hear this and I say, now wait a second. Everybody laments inflation. At least the Democrats pretend to care about how much stuff costs. And the Republicans are finally doing, and I, I, I would hope you would agree with this, the fiscally responsible thing, which is saying, look, we can't just keep printing money. If we're going to spend this money here and we agree to that and everybody holds hands and says, OK, then you got to pay for it somewhere else the same way as if you saw 
well, your own life. If you saw Superman number one uh, comic in Jim Mint condition and you uh, decided to purchase that, I would imagine your wife would uh, like you to uh, uh, cut, <laughs> move cut out of the house. Cut from your other comic book funding somewhere else. Um, this just amazes me that they're so mad, they being the Biden administration, that the Republicans won't just print the $14 billion. What's the president's message to House Republicans? I think the message is pretty clear, uh, that it is not uh, good for the United States, uh, good uh, for the region, or good for Israel uh, to tie emergency assistance to Israel uh, to what we consider to be essentially a a partisan uh, request uh, for uh, a way to offset that spending. We do not think that is basically without precedent in in recent history, uh, and and we don't support it, and are urging uh, members of our party and and members of Congress uh, from any party not to support it either. How do you ever get your get this thing under control if every time just something else comes up, you say, well, it's, you can't cut from anywhere else. You've got to just print the money here. You never get yourself out of this. What I, I, would, I would take from existing appropriations, but I wouldn't just target the IRS. I'd take it from across, from across the board. That's how I do it. That, that way they can't say you're, you're singling out one agency for partisan reasons. Like, no, we're taking it from across the board, period. All right, we got to take a break, but before we do, um, did you see this San Francisco 49ers player posted how much of his check goes to taxes? Did you see this? This guy plays for the San Francisco 49ers, and he posted a game check. Now, he makes $393,055 a game, so don't don't like cry for him. He's not in a soup line anywhere. Uh, Eric Armstead is his name. And 49.3% of his check by federal, state, and local taxes, Abdul, 49.3% of his game check goes to the government. My question is, how much does he get back, though? Well, that's a good question. I don't know. I would think in San Francisco, probably not a whole lot. Because I'm assuming that if you're paying an effective tax rate of 49%, after deductions and exemptions, it's probably about, I would say, low 30s and some change. All right. Let's take a break. When we come back, Abdul and I, we're going to do one last deep dive. We're going to give you a chance to get us on the record for tomorrow. Tomorrow is Election Day. What do we think is going to happen at the ballot box? Will it be Mayor Shreve? Will it be Mayor Hogsett again? What's going on at Carmel? We'll get to all of that and more. It's coming up next. It's Kendall and Casey Show. Abdul's in for Casey, 93 WIBC. Casey Show. I'm Rob Abdul's here. Last segment of the day, Shabazz. And so I thought we would wrap things up kind of where we where we really started things early on in the program, which is, hey, Election Day, and we've, we've touched on this with people throughout the show today. Election Day is tomorrow. The big one is the mayor of Indianapolis. You got data saying voting's way up, but it doesn't seem like Shreve's given people any compelling reason to vote for him. What do you think's going to happen tomorrow? Well, like I mentioned earlier, it's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic because... Uh, on the one hand, the number of registered voters since the last mayoral race is actually down about 9,000 registrations. Now, some of that's people moving, some of it's, it's, vote, it's voting cleanup, but it's, but it's down 9,000. However, early voting is up by almost like 10,000, Yeah, which I'm like, 
So I'm still trying to figure out what exactly is what's caused this dynamic to to take place. We'll have better, we we'll have more information uh, once the show's done because the early voting stops at noon. Yeah, noon. and there and there's no there's no other like hot button thing going on out there where you'd say, well, people are voting to vote for this. I mean, the mayor is the thing, right? And and uh, like like I said, uh, it's either voting for the for the challenger or against the incumbent because there's, there's really not a lot of enthusiasm for either for either candidate. Yeah, these days. like I said, Joe's on his on his. Uh, Second, trying to go for a third term, and third terms, like I said, are always hard to do uh, to begin with. Uh, Jefferson, uh, while a sharp guy, has sort of has, tr- has tr- had trouble, in my opinion, making that emotional connection to sort of ignite, you know, and sort of spark those voters into you know, wanting to do, wanting to, to to vote to vote for him. So I think both of them have those those particular challenges. It'll be interesting to see uh, who actually came out and voted because I did a, I did a story over the weekend which actually raised a whole bunch of eyebrows amongst yeah. the political class. Uh, on early voting stats, <clears throat> and that Republicans actually have for the for the first time in a very long time, according to my analysis. And granted, this is more this is a lot more art than science, but still, there's a little bit of science in both. Uh, the number of people who pulled an R ballot uh, in the primary is actually ahead of those who pulled a D ballot uh, in the in, in the primary. And ours are up like six percent in absentee ballot by my guesstimates, about three percent actually ahead in early voting voting. So. That's the first time that's kind of happened in oh gosh, like almost like you know twenty thirty years. Um, if it's a Shreve vote, is it just the anti the Hogsett sentiment? Anti Hogsett sentiment is that strong? Uh, or are there people out there that are like we're super excited about voting for Shreve? No, uh, there there's some of the diehard people who who always vote Republican. I mean, if Jesus was a Democrat, they'd still vote Republican. So just just, just to give you give you and give you an idea. However, I, I do think on the on the one hand, uh, this is a, this is about Hogshead. I, I really do because in, re-elections are always about the incumbents. Yeah. And when we polled, Hogshead only had about forty six percent of the Democratic base at the time. Now, granted, he went on to win because he spent a bunch of money to beat Robin Robin Shackelford. Uh, but I, I really do think it's about uh, about Shreve. And I think he's got. I think if, if Hogshead wins, it won't be the it won't be the seventy five twenty five we saw four years ago. It's not even going to be Cindy Carrasco, Ryan Mears. Right? No, I, no, I think this will be a lot. I think this if Hogshead wins, I think it'll be under fifty five percent. How much? And we have been one of the few media outlets consistently talking about this. But look, we clearly have a, a reach, as you know. How much of this is Hogshead's refusal to say where he was during the riots? I mean, is that, or is that something that's like it's just your audience and that's it? Or is that a bigger deal to the people at large? Um, I think I think it's a bigger deal, but in a but in, but in a little bit of a different way. Yeah. I had a conversation with a, with a with a poll worker the other day, a really good friend who I trust implicitly, uh, lives on the east side of town. Had a conversation with an older African American gentleman. Uh, I'd say like you no know, mid mid forties. You know, mid, I won't yeah. say older because that's in my age group. <laughs> Yeah, but but be, uh, there, he was he you? was a, he was a more experienced voter. Let, let's put it that <laughs> way. Yes, yes, yes. And he said he was mad about the George Floyd riots. And he what he was mad about wasn't the fact that necessarily where was Joe Hogg said it was that the city didn't do anything. He's like not about the daytime protesters. He thought that was fine. It was like the yeah. nighttime protesters. That's where he had an issue. And Hogg and and Hogg and Hogg said was nowhere. Didn't speak out. Nowhere to be seen. And that I thought was interesting. Not so much whether he was, you know, in rehab or wherever. The, all the rumors are the whole nine yards. Let's just go ahead and call a spade a spade. But that's what he was mad, upset about. That the riots got out of control and the mayor was nowhere to be seen. All right, real quick. Uh, there is another big mayor's race going on in Carmel. The Democrat strategy has been very odd. They've gone after these moms for liberty, and now there's this thing with the KKK mailer. 
I thought Democrats had a real chance in this one if they'd have gone about on the nuts and bolts stuff, but I think you just lose people. Sue Finkham is a pretty liberal Republican, especially on the social stuff. Nobody's going to think she's in bed with moms for liberty. I think Miles Miles Nelson out there and the Democrats missed a big opportunity to win this thing if indeed they come up short tomorrow. It is is, is a strategy of trying to nationalize local elections, yeah. which I don't see whether it's whether it's moms for liberty and the Nazi thing in Carmel, whether it's January 6th and Donald Trump in Indianapolis. That to me says... You're allowed, you, you don't have the issues that yeah. you need to run locally, so now you gotta now you got to bring up a bogeyman. Yeah, it's like like the Hawks is running ads tying Shreve to January 6th and Trump. and It's just like I'm watching this going, I'm not a Shreve fan, but that's ridiculous. Yes, and, uh, and, and for some reason, and, and apparently, I mean, it'll, it'll, get the, it'll get the base all stirred up with regular voters and like whatever. Yeah, and, and, and the same thing with Sue Finkham. I'm not a fan of hers at all. I, I don't think she's going to be a very good mayor, for at least for the sort of government I would want. She'll be but, great. But I'm, oh, I knew you would love her, <laughs> but I'm just watching this going, boy, it almost would make me want to vote for her, how ridiculous she's being treated. Exactly. All right, what's going on at IndyPolitics.org before we tell you to get the heck out of here? Uh, just basically keep track of all the voting data. Uh, we'll have our updated, voter, pro- up- updated voting data probably a little bit later this afternoon. All right, the one and only Bill Keep Jabaz, thank Thanks for being with us today, my friend. Hey, thank you. That's going to do it for us today. Thanks to Abdul. Thanks to Kevin, as always, doing a great job. Thanks to you for listening. Have a great rest of your Monday. Jim Merritt will join me tomorrow. And be sure to stick around. Tony Katz coming up next. It's Kendall and Casey Show, 93 WIBC.